Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, twink. Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. The year was 1969. What happened next was one of the most famous moments in human history. That's one small step for man. Of course, that's sound from the Apollo 11 moon landing. Well, just this week, NASA announced that they're at it again with plans to return to the moon, but this time with a woman and a man come 2024. Kathy Leaders is the head of spaceflight for NASA. She's the first woman to lead NASA's human spaceflight programs. Kathy, welcome to Reset. Thank you. Boy, does that give me goosebumps hearing that. Um, Really amazing. Wow. So this is exciting news. 2024, how far along are you in the process uh, as you look to put an astronaut back on the moon? So our team's just busting their butts. Um, They're hitting all the milestones. Right now, we uh, last year had awarded to three providers who are working very hard um, on their uh, human landing system designs. And we will be making uh, kind of final selections for who gets to actually carry us all the way forward in next spring. So the teams were charging on all cylinders and, and moving forward. You know, we got a lofty goal, and we're working super hard to go make it happen. You know, it seems like every American understands a little bit of what goes into being an astronaut that travels to the moon just because of the uh, <laughs> all the different movies that have happened from, from the first time. Uh, what preparations have to go into? What what does the plan entail to, to actually put together a a lunar space mission? Well, you know, we have to learn a lot. That's what's really cool about us doing these missions. And and you can hear from the voices of the folks that landed before, we didn't have it all figured out, right? And so those missions were really, really critical for us to kind of take our first steps. And between that period of time and what we've been doing now, we've been continuing to buy down risk in different parts of the design through our continued work in space. We learned that after those first Apollo missions, we had to learn more about how do you live and work in space for a long time, which was one of the reasons why we did Skylab and the shuttle missions, and then it culminated in us putting up the International Space Station. And we've been learning on the International Space Station for 20 years now on how to live and work in space. So you got to learn all the things you need to know how to be able to work safely What's a little bit different this time, too, is we're hoping to not just go, but we're hoping to go and stay, right? And right. be able to fully conduct all the science that we got a little bit of a taste of 50 years ago. So um, we are laying in all the plans, and, and you'll see, you know, you can see that when you read our Artemis plan that we are not only charging hard to get to the moon, but we're working hard to be able to conduct a whole range of missions around the moon with all the things that we're bringing online. Yeah, Kathy, why is it important to go back to the moon? I always I'm fascinated by this. Why is it important for us? If you know, and many other things we do it, and then we move on to the next thing. Why is it important to go back to the moon? What's the significance of the moon? Well, the first thing is it's it's a it's a great stepping stone for further exploration. 
like I talked about, we've had to learn around the earth first how to operate and, and really learn the hard lessons to then get us to learn to operate around the moon. You know, you can get to the moon in days. Um, for us to do further deep space exploration, you got to go years. And, and it's really, it's a lot easier to learn your lessons at a platform that mm. stays away and then be able to fix things and, and learn and make sure you've got those things fixed before you go start heading out a long ways away, right? Right. There's also major science we can do on the moon. You know, there's lots of places on the moon we have not been. You know, we, where we landed before was in the equatorial area. We right now are moving towards landing at the south pole of the moon. That's where we were able to find water, right? And so it then tells us about are there resources on the lunar surface that we could use to be able to stay on the moon and use the moon in future applications. It's why we also within NASA are starting to work with other countries to establish what we call the Artemis Accords so that we're starting to lay in our agreements with other countries on how we will use the, the moon in the future. You know, what I say is if you don't give yourself a hard problem, you don't learn <laughs> and it's through the learning that we start ticking off all those things that you asked me before about how do you get ready to go to yeah, right. the moon, right? Well, guess what? You learn those things. We learned things as we were working on space station that we said, oh, crap, we didn't, we didn't know about that when we were living and working on the Earth. We'll learn things on, as, we're, as we're orbiting the moon or as we're on the moon that we'll go, oh, we really got to fix that before we go start doing our deep space exploration. And we also know that just like on the International Space Station, we're going to learn so much about the moon and learn about different ways to use the moon that we haven't even thought of today. We are using the International Space Station today in ways we never thought of in 1999 when we launched the first U.S. Um, element. So, yeah. you know, there's the sky's the limit on these things, right? But yeah. you can't literally, you, literally, <laughs> <laughs> literally. <laughs> you know, how, how long do you expect to stay on the moon? We we know from the original mission, it was just a couple of hours. I mean, you can spend more time. You can take your time this time. We'll get to take uh, more time. You know, we'll be able to spend a few days. But the nice thing about it is the way we're planning to do it is we're planning to have an orbiting platform. So with these human landers, you're able to go land and then come up to the gateway, which is our orbiting platform, and then even be able to have multiple missions, right? So we're trying to really figure out a way to do this where it's not just us go up and, and just, you know, be there for a few hours. We're trying to figure out a way to do this in a way we can really maximize the resources that are being invested in it mm -hmm. with maximizing what we learn out of this, right? To think about us going back to the moon, but but obviously the, the headline has to be the fact of getting, you know, to use a, a phrase, boots on the ground, but to, to put feet on Mars. Is that realistic to Americans that we could put feet on the planet Mars? Hey, I work for NASA. <laughs> so our job is to do and go after things that people thought were unrealistic. You know, how many people thought it was realistic to go to the moon in the 60s, right? So it is our job to think big. <laughs> it is our job to go say we should go try to do hard things because it's through the, doing those hard things that we figure out how to do the hard things and solve the hard problems we have on Earth. Mm -hmm.
how long is it for humans to be able to fly through space to Mars? Right now, with our technology we're, we're shooting for, it's about, it takes us about 18 months. So that's a long trip, right? You got to learn a lot of things to be able to get out there and be able to do the missions and, and be able to come back. Total mission, 18 months. So now, you know, if there's a big technology break, we're investing in lots of technologies right now to go figure out how can we get that time shorter? Mm -hmm. What are the things we can do to conduct the mission in a better way? Right. We may learn something that uh, helps us be able to conduct the mission in a different way. But I think, you know, what we know is it's going to take a long time. Right. And so, like I said, it's going to challenge the way we communicate. It's going to challenge the way people interact. It's going to challenge the way people have to live together and work together and us be able to use resources. And that's what makes the lunar surface such a great place for us to kind of try this out is because, even days for us is a big challenge, right? You know, getting somewhere for days, even a calm delay and people living in a place like the lunar surface is a big change for us. So I hope we make it look as easy as, or Hillary Swank probably is making it look <laughs> look pretty hard right now because you, you have to have a lot of drama. We typically don't want as much drama as what you see in the movies, but we do know that when you're doing these hard things, you got there's lots of things you got to go work through. Honestly, that's why we do it. How significant is it that you would uh, put a woman on the moon, but that this would be uh, something uh, not, I mean, obviously with you leading the space flight program, uh, a woman being an astronaut who would be on the moon, how significant is it for you? Well, it's huge. You know, I didn't realize really the significance of me being in this role until I really saw the outpouring of letters and emails and, you know, texts from girls, women all over the world, right? My favorite comment that I got from somebody was, why can't it be two women on the moon? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, go girl, that you're, you're, you got the right thought process here. That's the right so, thought process, right? That's, that's the right thought process, right? So obviously it, it's phenomenal. You know, what we're trying to do is is get to where you and every single person that's here on earth can see themselves on the moon, right? And so if there's something that's impeding somebody seeing themselves being able to do this in the future or being part of joining the people that are trying to do this, we want to break those barriers. Right. We just want to break those barriers. Ms. Leaders, has it, has it gotten any <laughs> easier to put a human being in space? From the early days of, of traveling to the moon in the 60s uh, to, to even the International Space Station, has it become at all easier for us to put human beings in space? I mean, when you think about where we were in the 1960s, we just didn't have the computer. We didn't have the computational capabilities, right? You see the movies that were there in the 60s. It was people with slide rules and paper and etchings. And you look at the tools we have today, and that itself is what makes it easier for us. But it was us doing those hard missions that meant that we needed to find ways to break down and be able to do those problems, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it was with us needing that and needing that capability, I think, that we pushed through those barriers, right? Right now we have computational techniques that helps us be able to do all the orbits, all the assessments, all the calculations, you know, 
and be able to reassess it in so much more time and have better definition. Our ability to communicate and data streaming and all those other things that are going to be critical are things that are there and help us do the missions that we need to go do. But we're going to push that envelope and we're going to push industry and we're going to push our universities and every smart person that's out there to continue to come and find ways to break down our future barriers because we've yeah. got issues that we need to solve. What, what, right? Like what? what? What kind of issues need to be solved? We've got to figure out how to have systems that are going to stay very reliable near the lunar surface that aren't going to be breaking down. You know, we've been able to use, we, we call them our ECLIS systems, but it's really the systems that help you live and and work and keep you safe in, in space. But the problems we have now is they require lots of resupply. We have to do repairs and we have to add water and we have to do different things with them to keep them going. On Space Station, we've learned to build more and more and more reliable systems. But when you're going to Mars, you need those systems to become even more reliable. We need batteries that are even more reliable or power systems that are even more reliable and smaller and, and better materials and comm systems that can relay across the universe. And so those are all things that require new technology. And we're going to be kind of reaching out and and searching for people that have solutions for those kinds of problems. And we look back when we, when we were first working to get people in space, spaceflight was reserved for military pilots, uh, which at the time meant it was just men that were qualified. So when there was also studies, though, that say that, that women were actually in some ways better suited for space travel. Tell me about how, in this case, it may not just be about equality. It's maybe that women are better suited for this kind of work. Well, what you end up finding out is it's really not about women or men. It's about size. That there's a kind of an optimum size for spacecraft and to be able to conduct things or conduct like be in spacecraft. You know, if you got a bunch of really, really big people, guess what? That That's a mass trade that you have, right? And there's also different physical characteristics. We're finding out that certain kinds of people do better in space, right? And so it's another place where the International Space Station, we've learned about what kind of physiology do we each have that may make you a little bit better space traveler. Mm. We wouldn't have known that without the 20 years of the International Space Station. So, so we're continuing to learn the lunar environment's a little bit different. And so we may learn that, hey, certain kinds of people's physiology in that environment may be a little bit different too. So it's not necessarily women, men. It's, it's more, there may be different sizes. And we're finding out that the way different people react and acclimate themselves to space is a little bit different. Yeah, fascinating. All right, before I let you go, uh, how can we keep track of developments? Because this this is, you know, obviously slated for 2024. Will there be benchmarks that the American people will be uh, updated on as we get closer to, to the launch? Oh, my goodness, yes. We are, <laughs> we, we, we call this our juggernaut year because we've got so many things going on. Yes, COVID is a curse, but the blessing with COVID is that we were able to share and we figured out how to share with the whole nation that mission, right? And so we are going to make dang sure that the nation is aware and following along because that Artemis One mission next year is our mission. 
It is the nation's mission. And so we've got some big milestones coming up. We've got a final, our core stage is getting ready to go through its final hot fire test in the early November timeframe. That's the last piece of hardware before that's coming down to the Cape that's going to get assembled for that Artemis mission next fall. And it's going to be beautiful. So super exciting. I, I can't thank you enough to, to, to come on the show and talk about this. Uh, Kathy Leaders is the head of space flight for NASA, talking about the plans to get to the moon come 2024 and beyond that uh, to put feet on Mars. I hope we can have you back and we continue this conversation because it's fascinating and it, it's just great uh, to, to know that, that we have these ambitions to get to the moon and to Mars. Kathy Leaders, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. And that's today's Reset. For more conversations like this, head to wbez.org slash reset and check out our archives. And you can always tell your smart speaker to play WBEZ's Reset. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you right back here tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.